Welcome to the Latin MedTech Leaders Podcast, a conversation with MedTech leaders who have succeeded or plan to succeed in Latin America. Please subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or Deezer. Welcome to the Latin MedTech Leaders Podcast, a conversation with leaders who have succeeded or plan to succeed in Latin America. Today, our guest is Etienne Nichols. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Nailed it. Yep. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) A medical device guru and mechanical engineer who loves learning and teaching how systems work together. So, Etienne, thank you for being in the show today. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, great to be with you, Julio. Thanks Thanks for having me on the show. Awesome. Let's get started. So, Ethan, tell us about your experience or your journey to Latin America. How is it that you got involved with the region on a personal, professional level? Yeah. So, on a personal note, it, you know, when I was in college, I had a, a really good friend of mine whose name was Juan. He was uh, from Colombia, and uh, I just remember he and I worked. You know, when you're in engineering school, you work long hours, and then you get up early to go to work. You just it's just around the clock. And we would be at his house constantly. And his dad, who couldn't speak English to me, but he would always make the best milk and and rice. I don't know what it was, but I said, someday I'm going to go to (laughs) Colombia and I'm going to eat this in the country. Uh, So that's my personal kind of like where I was like, oh, Colombia, I want to go there someday. Um, uh, Professional, we have a few customers that I have personally worked with in, uh, um, in different places in Latin America. Um, one in Colombia, one in, uh, I believe in Brazil, but, uh, just a, f- just a few customers that I've interacted with in Latin America as well. Excellent. Very good. So, um, at the end, let's talk about trends that you see happening in the industry that are relevant to the business of doing studies in, in, or commercializing innovation in Latin America. Please. Yeah. So the thing that, the thing that I go to when I think about, I mean, you almost have to look at it globally. It's not just, you know, you can focus on one country over another. And Latin America certainly, obviously, is the, is the focus today. But if you look at globally, what's happening, EUMDR has always been, uh, or, or the, the European market has always been, you know, go there first because uh, it's a little bit easier to get to market. And then eventually you you bleed over into North America and, and, uh, and the rest of the world. Uh, that, that's changing with EUMDR, um, especially with deadlines. A lot of the industry has been expecting uh, another shift or another uh, delay to those requirements, and I don't think that's really a safe way to go. And so it's looking like now uh, this pendulum has sh- shifted. So now where people may have been trying to be, you know, first in human in overseas, now it's looking like you know America is one one you know North America sure, but uh, Latin America is even is even more um, appealing because of the the increased timelines as far as first in human some of these clinical trials, um, and then also some of the uh, uh, the trends that you see as far as um, uh, the cost. So both timeline and cost are are hugely appealing when you look at Latin America compared to some of the other regions in the world. Totally yes. What countries? Um did you hear or do you usually hear your clients talk about when they were thinking about early feasibility or first in human trials? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't have a specific country, um, you know, that comes to mind as far as that goes. Um, it, lately, I've just been hearing about the shift, uh, shift more you know, away from the European market. That's true. That's true. Um, and, and also I will say that, uh, I just met with, uh, Sponsor, the CEO of a medical device company, 
uh, it's a company uh, out of um, Seattle, Washington, and uh, it's just shocking how um, unsatisfied he is with the FDA ID approval process for a, an early feasibility study. And then the word he used was uncertainty. Uncertainty is the enemy of a startup. You cannot have uncertainty. You, you can have risk, of course, but not uncertainty. And there's so much uncertainty in Europe, of course, as you correctly said, and there's so much uncertainty in the U.S. as well. So that's probably the reasons, the main reason why companies are looking at other places like Colombia, et cetera, to do early feasibility work. Yeah, and and I know, I mean, I see you, Julio, as kind of the expert as far as Latin America as a whole. There's certain things that I I know about the different regions of different things, but um, I'd love to hear. I, I don't want to flip this around necessarily, but I'd love to hear <laughs> some of the things like you would specifically say. Hey, this region, you know, maybe Colombia, just because you know that has part of my heart there. Um, you know, some of the the things as far as the uncertainty, because because I latched onto that word uncertainty. Why would uh, you know what are what are your thoughts as far as uh you know the flip side um in latin america yes yeah the the way it works the approval process uh the way it works in a country like colombia for example and i'm colombian as well so i'm i'm biased uh and we do most of our work in colombia but i've i've analyzed pretty much the whole region pretty much the whole region i just finished an article about uh, comparing the regulatory regulatory approval process in Colombia, Mexico, and Brazil. And uh, it, it is, I mean, if you put the three countries together, the timelines, the process, I mean, the steps, the review cycles and all that, I mean, it's just obvious that Colombia is perhaps the most appealing country and the country that offers the most certainty to these companies. And that's what they're looking for uh, without mentioning cost savings, and, and uh, patient recruitment potential because of the size of the, uh, of the country, the population. So I, I would say that uh, Latin America is getting more and more mature. Uh, countries like Colombia, like Chile, are really, really making efforts to, to become uh, knowledge economies versus uh, commodity exporting or agriculture exporting countries. And knowledge economies means that you have to 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 somehow connect uh, your industries to the world, especially the service industry. Uh, and, and, and the clinical research is a great, just a fantastic way of of connecting a country to the world to high level of of, of uh, knowledge about innovation and all that. So so yeah, I will say that. Uh, Colombia is offering a lot more certainty, way more certainty than Europe or the United States right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good summary. All right, so let's uh, continue. Um, I heard that uh, you guys did a great survey about the state of the industry. I'm just so thrilled to 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 have you here and to uh, speak about it. I mean, can you elaborate on that? What are you guys? Uh, what do you guys uh, concluded after reading all those surveys? <laughs> Answers. Yeah. yeah. And and so, yeah, we did do a survey. We called it the uh, Quality Management and Product Development Sur Survey, um, uh, the 2022 State of MedTech. And, uh, you know, there were, there were several, several things that came out of it. I guess I should start by saying we interviewed 519 quality professionals. Um, and so when I say 519 um about 60% of those were quality and regulatory, clinical. 
about 26% of those were product development or engineering. And then we had a, a small sliver of manufacturing and then uh, about 11% were corporate or executives. So the majority were quality and regulatory. Um, that survey, uh, it, it covered a broad range of topics and you asked about conclusions. So we'll talk about them in just a minute. Um, but I also want to say we actually just, I think we just closed uh, our most recent survey as well. So we, we have about 600 this time. Uh, quality professionals that we have interviewed. So we're getting ready for for next year. So that'll be coming up. Um, we'll definitely let your audience know when that's out. As far as the uh, the conclusions, there were some interesting findings. And before I get to conclusions, one of the things that really stood out was that timing really matters. And uh, um, to your point with Columbia, um, that's that's the thing that I noticed when I talked to, when I looked at the the timelines between Brazil, Mexico, and, and Colombia. Just the uh, the speed at which you could expect to get through with Colombia was was pretty mind boggling compared to some of the others. Um, it, I mean, it's almost an order of magnitude, isn't it? The end of the difference. Um, so when we looked at the different classes, so so class one, class two, class three for class three device, um, on average, well. I don't know if it's really fair to take an average, but let, let's use percentages. The bulk, 47% of uh, uh, class three devices um, for the FDA took three to five years to get to market. So that's actually probably a little bit, I mean, that actually might even be a little fast compared to what I was expecting. Um, about 23% of those expected, you know, they, they were around two to three years um, but the majority are expecting to to take longer than five years. So if you can shave a fi- a year off of that, totally, yeah, yeah. I mean, you sh- you you now have twenty percent faster to market. Twenty percent is huge. So um, just timing, timing matters, you know. And and we heard that from several uh, several different tiers um, medtech professionals. As far as you know, the different things that we we heard, we um another thing that we looked at was whether or not. Uh, these medical professionals were using or what kind of tools they were using, whether they were using purpose-built solutions or, um, you know, uh, just general purpose tools. It was about half and half. And when we looked at that, the ones who were not using uh, purpose-built solutions, you know, something that was specifically built for their industry, um, timing, uh, timing was affected as well. So that was interesting. Um, let me. I'll kind of skip to the end as far as some the the top four things that we saw happening. So as far as um, uh, the things that we saw was a disconnect between management and quality, the actual quality uh, department. So there's a disconnect as far as whether or not um, they were actually on target or excelling in quality. So management typically said, "No, we're not." doing well with quality. It was kind of like a, um, a, the, the majority of them, whereas a lot of quality management said, we're doing pretty good. So there was a little bit of a disconnect there. So that was interesting. You know, it's something that to think about. Um, when we kind of when we kind of did a few interviews with some different people as to why might that be the case? Uh, one of the thoughts was, well, management is thinking about two different things. You know, the quality may be thinking how many kappas are open, how many kappas have been closed. Uh, whereas quality and the, the the upper executives might be thinking more along the lines of something like, um, you know, how fast are we getting to market? Have we produced more revenue? And and you know, what's the outlook look like? So that was one of the things that we noticed. Uh, supplier management was another one, and um, 
And I don't know. I, I again, I, I love hearing from you too, Julio. You know, I know you were on our podcast, and so when I think supplier management, uh, that's one of the things that I love to to hear about as far as you know the, the Latin America and how you've seen some of those supplier. Um, you know, it, just because med tech companies are going to call it a supplier, wh- whoever they are, but that partnership um, across those country lines. What have you seen as far as that management? Well. Um, is that something I'm, I'm allowed to ask? <laughs> no, no. Uh, uh, it's a good question. I don't know the answer, to be honest with you. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't get involved. We don't get involved in, 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 in quality issues with our clients. They just ask us for SOPs and that's it. I mean, we're a U.S. company, so we are not really... So no, I don't. I don't have an answer for that. To be honest with you, I'm sorry. Well, so no, no, that's okay, and that's okay. Yeah. I just like to ask the question. I don't mean to put no. anyone on the spot. I'm yeah, supposed yeah. to be the one on the spot here. So, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, you know, when when we think supplier management, yeah, you know, we're going to a remote world, you know, and and that's inevitable. But when you talk about certain aspects of your suppliers, there are certain things that you need to be doing in person, and I'm. Yeah. This is me a little bit selfishly as a as a as a you know a world travel traveler, not necessarily by choice. My wife has turned me into one. She she takes me different places, and and that's wonderful. I'm very thankful for that. Um, when you choose your suppliers, you know one of the things you need to think about is how close are they? How can I can I get to them? Um, you know, can I have a relationship with them? And uh, so you don't necessarily think of a country. You know, at least I don't necessarily think is this country a place I want to go to for that supplier. But that actually plays into it. Um, your relationship with those things. So that might be another thing to think about when you're thinking about your, your long-term yeah, suppliers. That, that's a great point. That's a great point. And, and, and of course, uh, we operating in Latin America, and one of the things from the get-go, we started the company, we set it up as a U.S. corporation. We are a Florida-based company. And that's also to, to give our clients that level of trust that you're, they're dealing with a local supplier. They're dealing with a U.S. company. We're real people in the U.S. We're not some remote company in Colombia with a, a bank account with a Swift number that takes a whole page. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, a whole page of wiring instructions. You don't know if you're going to get your money, these people. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, 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 no, it's a great point. And we're that buffer between our clients and our research centers, uh, not our research center, I mean, the hospitals that we deal with are in our network of uh, research centers. Um, so they don't have to deal with foreign suppliers. So we make it easier for our clients in, in that way. Yeah. 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 So that's one of the things that, uh, you know, so supplier management just in general was one of the things that um, we saw quite a few people really felt like was below average. So actually 75% 75% felt like their supplier quality management program was below average or average or below average. So that was something to think about. Um, and um, yeah, it's just one of the things that you need to think about. Um, another thing to think about. So one of the other issues with our, you know, when, with that we found in this survey was one of the, uh, um, one of the things that people experience is if you experience a warning letter, it may take three years to reach resolution for that. Now, I'm I come from the quality regulatory side, so I, I think a lot about the quality. Um, uh, so that's that's one of the things that, um, again, uh, that 
uncertainty and start tying, tying it back to that word that you said, you know, certainty that what you have is a quality product. What you have is something that you, uh, you know, what is going to meet your expectations. Um, that's important in the quality world. Um, because if you, if you cut corners, if things don't work out the way you expect them to and so forth, um, yeah, those, those warning letters can take a long time to resolve. Yeah, I'm sure. All right. So, so basically, um, the issue of, Time is probably the, the the issue that we can all help in Latin America, uh, or the issue where Latin America can 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 play a, a predominant role for the medtech industry, uh, as you correctly found, and that's that's also my it's been my experience. As usually, what I hear, I mean, time, time, time. How can we start this trial faster anywhere in Latin America? Sometimes I have conversation where I have to give them the whole, my potential client, the whole framework around the different countries so that they can understand where to go and where they can get their study approved faster. So, so yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing that I, that I am very thrilled about is your acquisition of um, smart trials. Smart trials. That will yes. also save time and, and, and effort in managing these smaller medical device early disability studies, which are different from pharma studies. So uh, I think uh, the partnership that we have and, and what we're putting together here is going to benefit the whole industry uh, because we're going to uh, uh, solve one of their pain points, one of their problems, which is the time to take that takes a, a device to get to market. Yeah. Uh, not just the time too, but like you said, the certainty. Um, the certainty, exactly. Yeah, yes. exactly. When yeah. you have uh, clinical trials spread over multiple locations and uh, you're trying to capture all that data, whether it's on paper or through, you know, just however that's being captured, um, really a solution like Smart Trial is is really the way to go as far as that electronic data capture. I mean, it's just, it will increase your, your certainty and your ability to um, just have a lot of more confidence in, in what you're actually performing. So yes, yes, and and I guess now with the acquisition of smart trials, uh, your survey may change a little bit, may add different questions or right? Yeah, related yeah. to clinical research because uh, it's really a hot topic nowadays. Uh, the the increase in demand that I that uh, that I've seen this year has been unprecedented. I, I think something I and I'm curious to see how it's changed. I remember one of the numbers from your articles actually was uh, the increase what from 2012 to 2017 was like 94 yes, percent increase. Wasn't that, like that, isn't that right? Exactly. Yeah, and that's five years old. So yeah, I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah. I mean, every every week I I get at least three new inquiries in our website about a new study in in Latin America. So. Definitely, there is there is an issue happening in the United States. There's an issue happening in Europe that is there is a bottleneck somehow. Probably also because of COVID. Uh, probably because there is there is um, new investors. Who knows what fueling all this? But it's probably a combination of factors. And and uh, certainly, Latin America has become a place to 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 yeah help fix this issue of timing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's. You know, it's funny. We we think about the development of a you know a medical device and how much uh, you know a chunk of that clinical trial is you know the cost of developing that medical device. You know, some some studies I think it's 
you know, not quite half half uh, uh, the amount of cost, but you know, in the historically, it's been in the thirty to forty percent range. I think you know that's that's the amount of money it takes to develop a medical device um, to put it through clinical trial. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you know that that some of the things I think I are, have been read from you though, you know, are you know it's like sixty percent reduction in cost in yes. those clinical trials. Up to yes, I would say that. yeah, that's that, that's. That's kind of accurate. Um, anywhere between thirty and sixty percent, I will say. Uh, I see, uh, especially in Colombia, uh, with the Colombian peso at a historic uh, low versus the U.S. dollar, and um, it's just uh, really unbeatable to to uh, as a country. I mean, to buy services from a hospital in Colombia, you're gonna get a, a great bargain. Uh, is the second most devalued currency after Venezuela and Argentina. Venezuela, well, obvious reasons. Argentina is a country that is struggling so much to to get ahead, and it's very uh, yeah. unstable in many ways, economically, politically, uh, socially. Uh, but inflation in Venezuela and Argentina are just uh, really, really difficult. It's 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 just funny. Um, you 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 walk the streets of uh, Colombia in Bogota. And uh, there are people selling crafts on the streets with Venezuelan currency. They they sell hats and they sell purses. <laughs> they make animals. <laughs> you can oh, buy really? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, really? Oh, my so goodness. That's how bad it is. The issue with clinical research in Venezuela is interesting. I am involved with a hospital in Caracas, uh, probably the largest private hospital in, 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 in Venezuela, and um, we are doing a study with a um, uh, interventional cardiologist, one of the top in Latin America. He's from Caracas, and he works at that hospital. And we we're working on a, a couple of studies in Colombia, and uh, he's a proctor of the sponsor for the study in Colombia. And we talk a lot uh, about doing studies in Venezuela, but the issue is that Americans cannot travel to Venezuela. But uh, Venezuela could be an ideal place for clinical research if Americans could get visas and travel to the country because it's a, it's a country of over 45 million people, something like that. Uh, Colombia is 53 now. Uh, and um, it's a country that has a great infrastructure, private at least. The public infrastructure is gone. There's really no private. Uh, there's, there's really no universal healthcare system or anything like that. It's all private. You have to have money. It's dollarized. So, so yeah, prices are probably not as cheap as Colombia, but uh, it could represent great savings for companies. And eventually, the issue will be fixed. I mean, Americans will eventually be able to travel to Venezuela. And uh, actually, the pioneer of early feasibility clinical research in Latin America was Venezuela, Dr. Corrado, Caracas, like 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, when I was first thinking about this, um, first in human and some of the clinical trials, uh, one, one of the issues that I kind of thought, well, what about recruitment? You know, is it uh, truly representative of the same type of population you might see in, a, in America, um, whether it's diet based, things like that? And um, just <laughs> the ability, the, the country's, you know, really impressive as far as, you know, having not been there myself, just the things that I've read and the things I've learned about it, um, it, it's, it's to a level where, you know, the same, very similar, um, different stratas of life, I guess, different tier, whether it's diet or, and so forth. So, um, that 
kind of erased one of the biggest concerns in my mind when it came to, uh, you know, clinicals and actually was a big convincing factor, you know, in, in my mind that, that it would be a, an appealing place to go. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think America is very Americanized nowadays in, in the hospital infrastructure, the way people practice medicine and, and the lifestyle is very Americanized and, and uh, it's just like in the U.S. It's a mix of cultures. I mean, yeah. cont- countries like uh, Argentina, I mean, probably the, the population uh, mix is, 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 uh, is very similar to the United States. Uh, very European uh, influenced, and uh, Colombia is a great mix. It's a little bit of everything. You have Italians, uh, Germans, uh, of course, Spanish. Uh, in, in Colombia, you have also Asian communities. You have Middle Eastern uh, population. So it, it kind of similar to to the U.S. in in a way, and and, and whites in the U.S. are. Becoming minority. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. It's funny. <laughs> it just, every every everything's cyclical. It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. exactly. Um, so I'm curious about. So you heard kind of my personal anecdote at the beginning about you know maybe Columbia or whatever. I'm curious um, uh, if you could tell me your quick snippet as to why you know I should go to Columbia. Maybe not even necessarily from a clinical standpoint. I just um, you know having been there, you know, the, the, a native yourself, I just love to hear what you have to say about it real quick. About what, excuse me, about going to Colombia? Yeah, just, you know, one of the, like, okay, I'm just imagining I get off the plane and I'm going to the hospital, but maybe I want to do something oh, else. I see. And what do you recommend? What should I do first? Oh, 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 oh I see. I <laughs> on see. a personal note. Yeah, on a personal note. Well, I if you go to Colombia, you have to visit Bogota. It's perhaps one of the the, uh, the largest metropolitan areas of uh, Latin America with Mexico City with uh, Sao Paulo, Buenos Aires, it's, it's kind of at the same level. Uh, it, you get out of, out of the airport and first of all, the first, one of the best airports, if not the first, uh, there's a recent survey on this, um, is in Bogota. El Dorado Airport is perhaps the best airport in, in, in Latin America right now. And uh, that's a lot to say, but it's, it's brand new, just impressive airport. And um, and the highway that you see is really really impressive. It's not. I mean, you feel that you are not in a banana republic. You feel that you are in a real country, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And um, of course, Bogota is the capital city, and uh, Bogota is uh, a place of about over ten million people. It's a large metropolitan area. And uh, it has one of the best hospitals in Latin America. And uh, the reason for that is because the geographic location of the country is, is kind of privileged because it's, it's the first country in South America. So it, 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 everybody from the Caribbean travels to Colombia for medical care, for advanced medical care. Everybody from Central America, Panama, Costa Rica, Honduras, Nicaragua, they either... either choose to go to Mexico or Colombia, right? And everybody from the South, everybody from Ecuador, Peru, uh, well, not so much Peru, but it's, 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 unless you're in the uh, northern part of Peru, but uh, Ecuador, um, Bolivia, they all travel to Colombia for medical care. So, so yeah, it's, um, I would say Bogota, Medellin is a fascinating city, very metropolitan, very multicultural. And, um, 
The other city that is up and coming is perhaps the fastest growing city in Latin in, in Colombia, probably one of the fastest growing cities in Latin America, is Barranquilla. Barranquilla is the largest city in the whole Caribbean basin after Miami. That's a fact that not many people know about. Wow. So yeah, it's a city of about two and a half, three million people. But it, the area of influence of Barranquilla is about 10 million people because it covers the whole Caribbean coast. It's the largest metropolitan area next to and it's right in the middle. Um, Santa Marta is a smaller city towards the north, and Cartagena, which everybody knows about, is towards the south. But um, Barranquilla is the center, the economic center of the Colombian Caribbean coast, and has a large number of hospitals. I will say probably there are about at least 10 high-complexity hospitals in the city. So patient recruitment is great. That's that's fantastic. You know, I um, community is one of the things that I don't think about. I don't know that we think a whole lot about in med tech, you know, just the community in general. Um, the med tech itself is kind of a small industry. Uh, but if you go to some place that's, you know, I don't know, if you try to go to the Mayo Clinic or wherever else where you're not, you know, listened to and, and perhaps at whatever level you're at. What I'm curious about is, you know, the different communities within those hospitals and the ability to, to have a better relationship with those um you know, you, you're kind of a, you, you work between the U.S. And, uh, and and directly with the hospital. So I'm sure you see and manage a lot of that relationship. But um, that's one of the things that I'm interested in learning a little bit more about, too, in the future. Yes, so. yes, yes, exactly. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm always very thrilled about the possibilities of bringing your technology to Latin America. There are uh, a lot of, um, uh, there are a few hubs of innovation in the region and medical Devices are increasingly, now that we can use software as a medical device, you find a lot more entrepreneurs trying uh, to do something in this area. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a slowly growing industry in Latin America. I would say Brazil, Colombia, Argentina, I mean, the, the top five countries in the region have the need of a software like uh, the Greenlight Guru offers, a quality management system. So, so yeah, it would be fantastic to translate this offer to Spanish. I don't know uh, if you guys have plans to do that, but uh, that's a growing area. That's fantastic feedback. Um, yeah, that's that's a really good point. I don't know that we do at the moment, but I'd, I need to check with my product team. I should probably keep my mouth shut until I know for sure. Um, but though, like I said, you know, if and I'll, I'll send a link to that um, State of 2022 report. Um, and then eventually when we have our State of 2023 report released, we can, we can definitely send that your way as well. But one of the things that, that we saw that I already mentioned was uh, just the the companies that don't use those specific tools um, to help them get to market, whether it's something like Greenlight Guru or Smart Trial for their clinical trials, uh, they they're moving slower than the ones who are who are using those purpose built tools. And yeah, uh, you know, um, I I look at it kind of like you know as a mechanical engineer, if I look back at my past, I I had the privilege to work at a company where um, it was a hundred-year-old company. It was in the steel industry before I came to medtech. Uh, we had four different ways of keeping our drawings. You know, we had we had them on paper. That you know, the the I can't remember it's A2. It's just the massive pieces of paper that people had hand drawn, which was fantastic. Um, we had microfilm. We had NX ideas, and then we had SolidWorks. You know, guys like me are like, why are we not using SolidWorks for everything? Look, I can do what you do in four days and five minutes. And uh, it's just kind of the way the world, you know, it's always changing. And, you know, the companies that embrace that change, they, they just move faster. So, totally agree. Um, yeah. 
All right, Etienne, we're close to the end of the show. Thank you so much for being here. It was a delightful conversation. I look forward to being in touch. Yeah, fantastic. Great talk to you, Julio. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, take care. Take care.